Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, this is Andrew Bowser. And I'm Sapphire Sandalo. And welcome to Alter Weekly. Coming up on the show, we talk with the Boulay brothers about their unique approach to blending the art of horror and the art of drag. Then we talk with a Rocky Horror super fan about the fandom surrounding the film and why its cult status has persisted for decades. But first, Sapphire, why don't we do like a What We've Watched Roundup? Because okay. there's plenty of stuff that we watch that we don't talk about on the Altar Society, you know? That's true. It's true. Uh, what have you watched this past week? Spooky TV, spooky movies? Mm, okay, so I recently finished the <laughs> the Purge television show. Whoa. Do you know that I have not seen a single Purge movie <gasps> really? or a, a single episode of the Purge television show? So, I mean, tell me about it. Does it work as a TV series? So here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I, I <laughs> the, the first Purge movie, it like the, the main criticism around it, aside, there, I mean, yes, there's a lot of issues <laughs> with the premise, but a lot of issues that people had with it is that it had this really interesting world but it all just takes place in one person's house. So it's kind of like, wow, that feels really wasted. Okay. But then there's all of these subsequent, subsequent, is that the word? Yeah, um, sure. Films. <laughs> and then the television series, those are all the things that delve into everything outside, every the rest of the things that are happening in okay. that world. And the, um, and the world is such that one night a year, you can commit any crime. Yes. That's, that's, so, okay. That is the like the basic, basic premise. And it's just so funny to me to think about like, why do people just like start killing each other? And I thought that was so dumb. But then something that I found kind of interesting about what the TV series did is that they answer all of those questions that people have about that premise. Cause it's like, like that doesn't seem feasible. I don't think everyone would just like start, you know, whatever. But they talk about things like class. Um, like how the people that are going to be the most affected are the like the poor people yeah <laughs> um and um the rich people they can afford to have security and stay safe where and then you know like there's commentary about stuff like that and it's right. not perfect but um i don't know it was just really interesting let me ask you this you don't have to get too dark but if you were I'll a part there. of a purge <laughs> what crime would you yes. commit Oh, okay. Hands down. Um, I would figure out a way to delete all of the student loan debt. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. What a fucking Robin Hood themed noble crime. Great. I'm glad you answered first because I don't know that oh my mine God. would be that. Do you have like a hit list or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a hit list, but I was, I don't know. I was, I wasn't going so big picture and heroic in, in my thinking. 
I've definitely thought about this. Clearly, that's <laughs> While true. Watching the show, that's I was like, true. What would I do? <laughs> You've thought about it. I, I really haven't. Everyone like has like a purge sona, basically. And right. I'm like, what would be mine? <laughs> what would be your purge sona? Have you ever sketched it up? <sighs> you know, I mean, you mentioned like the <laughs> you said Robin Hood, so I'm like, maybe I should do like a cute little Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah. Go out and delete everyone's student loans. you could be robin hood and then i could just join up with you i could be your little john or your will scarlet <laughs> yes i don't know i i like breaking stuff so if if i mm-hmm. could find a way to break something that wouldn't hurt anybody that's the thing is i don't want to hurt anybody's property but uh, you know one thing that we used to love to do this is a bad story and i'll, I'll cut it out if it makes me look too bad but i'll be the judge of that so lame but in new york when i went to film school we used to love love to break fluorescent light bulbs on the ground if we found them in dumpsters and in the trash because they, they were un, they weren't workable anymore. Right? No, they were like in in dumpsters. Oh, oh, that's not bad. Well, but some poor city worker would have to clean up our stupid college student mess. We would break them on the ground. I'm a horrible person. You didn't clean it up. No, we would break them and run <laughs> because they would make such loud sounds. We were such idiots. We would drop them and they'd go. And it would be such a loud yeah. bang. And then we would just <laughs> oh my run away. God. The other thing we used to do, and this is so bad. And again, I'm a bad person for doing it. But we would steal like large movie posters out of bus stops or even out of the movie theaters. We stole a giant vinyl Royal Tenenbaums banner that was like eight feet tall. It was the wow. biggest lift we ever we ever did. And I'm such a bad person. And we it hung in my friend's dorm room for all of college. It was like taller than his walls. So this is why you don't know what you would do in purge night because you live every day as, like, <laughs> as if it's purge. Yeah. Every day is purge night for Bowser. News slash. That's right. It's time for your news slash. Coming this spring to Hulu, there'll be a three-part documentary series entitled Sasquatch from Mark Duplass and Jay Duplass as executive producers. The series will be directed by Joshua Rofe, and it will investigate the rumors of a bizarre 25-year-old triple homicide said to be the work of a mythical creature. Shudder will be premiering 11 new horror movies across 11 weeks. Here's the lineup. Hunted, The Queen of Black Magic, A Nightmare Wakes, After Midnight, Shook, The Dark and the Wicked, Lucky, Stay Out of the Fucking Attic, Slacks, Coco di Coco da, and Violation. The general manager of Shudder, Craig Engler, said 2020 set a new standard for Shudder original and exclusive films with more than 40 premieres. 2021 is set to be even bigger with films from both established horror masters and exciting new voices. Jeremy Davies joins the cast of the new horror film The Black Phone from Doctor Strange director Scott Derrickson. The Black Phone is coming from Blumhouse and Universal and it's based on a story by Joe Hill. The plot is this, a kidnapped kid, a creepy soundproofed basement, an ancient disconnected phone. Then, when night falls, the phone rings. And that's it. That's your news slash. News slash. The Belay brothers have made a name for themselves in the drag community for blending horror iconography into their artistry. We talked to them about their love for the genre and how the Belay brothers came to be. Thank you so much for both of you joining us today. We are really excited to have a chat with you. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. So let's start from the very beginning. What brought you to drag and what got you into horror? And then how did those two come together with Dragula? 
So what got us into, I mean, I think dragon horror in general. First of all, we've both been into horror since we were children. You know, one of my earliest memories is of like being alone in my grandparents' old haunted house, like being a little kid, uh, staying up by myself watching Dracula. I was like four years old. It's like one of my earliest memories. So both of us have always, always been into horror. But as far as uh, drag, you know, we do, we did nightlife events for a very long time. It was kind of how we got our creative uh, expression out. So we would do these very theatrical nightlife events and they were always sort of pansexual and dark and gothy and fetishy and there would be stage performances there. And so that's where the drag started to come from because we would star in our own little stage production. So, you know, they would be different things. There was three different shows a night and we would have to be, sometimes we'd be like, a fierce gothic goddess. And sometimes we'd be like a janitor and sometimes we'd be like a truck driver. I was like, whatever the show demanded, you know, that's what role we would take. So that's sort of how our drag evolved. So we would do drag, not as the Boulay brothers, but as characters in our shows. And then at one point we ended up just coming out and forming our own identities as the Boulay brothers. And then we started doing, you know, a, a very branded and stamped look and uh, way to express our art. It's an evolution for sure. Yeah. Do you remember the moment where the Boulay brothers really hit for both of you and you thought this is, this is it? I absolutely do because Drac was pushing um, this idea of like coalescing us as like under this moniker Boulay. And it was something that was kind of evolving. We were still doing our weekly kind of like pansexual fetish event. And we would get invited to all of these really kind of like underground parties in LA. Um, you know, we're responsible for throwing like the Los Angeles Halloween ball annually, for example. We do huge New Year's Eve events. Like we've been throwing parties forever. So back then though, um, the Boulay brothers was kind of coalescing, but we got invited to a party and we were sort of like in this half drag, if you will. It was our drag still, but it was androgynous. We were kind of presenting as male and female. It was like this in between and people really kind of, some people would treat us like, like we were goddesses and other people would be just like, hey dude. And it was like this strange night of like being pulled one way and then the other. And it, I, it left me feeling twisted and kind of spit out and when we walked out of that club or at, out of that party i looked at drag and i was like we will never do that again it's either all or nothing we need yeah. to take all of the levels and put it at 10 or not at all and then i mean from that point forward the boulet brothers were really just fully manifested and that's something you know you guys probably know this as uh, listeners probably will too like you don't see us out of drag like you when you see the boulet brothers this is us and that's it and you know that's the that's part of our characters and our fantasy, and that's how it is. So before we started recording, you had mentioned that the intersection between drag and horror didn't exist before you. Um, so could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I wouldn't say that it didn't exist. There's, there's obviously, there's always been drag artists who are interested in different things. Like some of them might be more interested in camp or some of them might be interested in horror or that sort of thing. Um, but what you guys had to ask specifically before was about uh, to talk about the intersection of drag and horror. And for us, I feel like that's not necessarily something that's common or something that is widely accepted. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was like an established thing. We were coming into this world. I mean, for us, because we did things like loved horror movies and it was always about the super villain and I worked in haunted houses, even as a kid, you know, and then when we met and we started doing nightclubs and, and dressing up as all these different characters, for us, that drag expression, our queerness was very linked with villainesses and darkness and huh. fear and horror. Right. So it was something that we felt like we were 
kind of pioneering to an extent. There were other people out there doing that, of course, like any any, any artistic genre, people are come mm-hmm. before you and you should honor them and, and, and recognize that. We're not taking credit by any means, but I don't think we're following in anyone's footsteps. We're, we're like blazing new territory. Yeah, I feel like our, our careers just sort of molded us and put us out and we were just sort of like these two, you know, sort of horror host characters that just appeared that hosted events and we have our TV show and all that. And so it just sort of, we made our own lane sort of. I think that, you know, there is definitely a connection between queerness and horror. That is undeniable. And that I think you, you can see going back into, you know, the first horror movies. I feel like you see that even in uh, the old dark house, you know, James Whale, like you see queerness expressed in that movie. And I think you guys probably know this, but some people don't, you know, part of that was brought about by the, the Hayes Code and the idea that like, you can't express homosexuality and things like that in movies. Mm-hmm. So they sort of, you know, James Whale was an out gay director at the time. And so he was like, how do I figure out how to still put queer context in this movie without being overt? And that's how those things came about. What are some of the horror villainesses or some of the horror characters that you found the most inspiration in as artists? I think it's mostly fantasy characters. Definitely for both of us, probably. Like we both really love like fantasy and comic books. And um, I think comic book characters specifically from the masters of the universe, like we really resonate. (laughs) I think we have like a ton of shared DNA with Evil Lynn and even the sorceress, even though she's a goodie, she's very powerful. (laughs) So we can can relate. Julia from the Hellraiser series is like one of my favorites. I think she's such an unsung like monster, you know. And you love that hairdo too. Uh, I yeah, I love a I love a short hair. (laughs) Yeah. Even like Gozer from Ghostbusters, like when I was a little kid, like I just thought she was the baddest bitch. Like I loved it. And you also, I can't, I'm, I'm going to kill myself for not remembering the name, but uh, from Superman, the... Oh, I think it was Ursa from Superman 2. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm spacing her name, the actress is Sarah Douglas. I think that's what it is. Like she had that spiky little pixie cup, but she was strong just like any of the other Kryptonians with like the eye, the heat rays and everything. And I, you know, I just love that. Didn't you connect with her on Instagram recently? I, I think I was just kind of stalking her. <laughs> she responded to something. As as I, I don't know if I saw, I saw it. Well, for each of you, what are some of your just all time favorite horror films? even outside of what you may do as an artist, just your go-to, if you're gonna sit down and watch one of your favorites, uh, what's your favorite horror film? I think for me, and I've said this a lot, like in, you could, if you could see behind uh, in our you know, cabinet of curiosities, there's all of the original uh, Halloween VHS and, and beta tapes I have. <laughs> so Halloween is definitely a favorite for me. Halloween 4 in particular, I love. Um, I love a lot of the classic movies, you know, The Exorcist, Halloween. Um, Modern-wise, I think I I tend to like more psychological, dark, uh, hereditary, The Lodge, things like that. Yeah. We just spoke with Danielle Harris from Halloween 4. Jamie Lloyd from (laughs) Halloween 4. Oh, amazing. Yeah, she was a guest judge on the third season of Dragula uh, on our Halloween challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So for Drac, I mean, Drac was sitting next to Daniel Harris in the judge panel, and I knew that Drac had such a powerful affinity with the Halloween franchise. So to look over, I I knew that that was like such an amazing- It was creepy. Like it's like celebrities like never sort of 
phase us. But oddly, Danielle Harris, I'm like, oh my God, this is so bizarre. It's, it's trippy, you know? That's yeah. awesome. I think for me, I, I really tend to like some of the, um, the 80s kind of like, I like corny, horny, like <laughs> kind of funny horror movies. You're from speaking the 80s. my language. You're I speaking my language. <laughs> you know, I love that stuff. So, you know, like Death Becomes Her and yeah. I, I love Beetlejuice. Uh, Halloween, I mean, I'm sorry, I like Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yes. Um, you know, there's like a comedy to it. I, I like my, my, screams with my laughter for sure reanimator yeah the reanimator is really uh, funny even like frankenhooker 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 favorite yeah yeah <laughs> love it love it you know the big budget blockbuster yeah right Con a controversial favorite though was the remake of suspiria i love the remake so do i i love yeah, I thought it. it was i thought it was genius and i think that people put their allegiances or whatever to the whole the, the original it yeah. has a passionate following so it's yeah. like you can't even say like i love the second one because somehow you betray yeah. your love for the mm. first one but i don't subscribe to that i really love right. the second one. tilda swinton is like a goddess oh yeah i walked out of the theater and i was like that was beyond what i expected i was Absolutely. so fulfilled by that remake oh my gosh so uh, a lot of people talk about rocky horror picture show mm -hmm. when they talk yeah. about um not necessarily well i guess drag and horror and horror in drag is is rocky horror an icon to to either of you how do you relate to that film and did you see it when you were young what's your relationship like with rocky horror picture show i think we both saw it when we were young yeah i saw it when i i mean god i i saw it when i was incredibly young and i was just sort of i loved it i i was weirded out by it but i loved it and i i definitely think i was afraid that I found, that I resonated with it. I was like, why? <laughs> I love, I think so many people feel that way. They're like scared yeah. about what was happening in their inner like, world when they were watching Rocky Horror. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why do I feel like Frankenfurter? This isn't good. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how I felt about it. I think the characters are like absolutely iconic. And I think for a lot of people, including me, I was like in junior high or something when my high school friends like took me to see that. And I was just kind of like, I. They were screaming virgin at me when we were walking to the theater. I was obviously had never been there before. I was like a little kid. And um, it was really world bending, I think, and uh, kind of introduced, I think, a lot of people to bisexuality and cross-dressing and femininity and masculinity and questioning all of those things. And we resonate so strongly with that movie, like in our inner circle, you can be like, you can be cool or you can be weird or like a queerdo and all these things but it takes a very special kind of person to be a Transylvanian and we are Transylvanians and a, a little inner circle of friends of ours close friends we consider Transylvanians as well and that's obviously a direct reference to Rocky yeah sort of like dark queer content creators you know sort of uh -huh. they're, they're they're powerful they're sort of like little mini bosses on their own but they and, can't relate to the even the other queer weirdos right that exactly there's like yeah. some shared DNA there mm -hmm. yeah it's it, I. It's a very confrontational film, and in a lot of ways, in a healthy way, I think. I think the audience, when they first see a film like that, is kind of experiencing what Janet and Brad are experiencing—that kind of challenging of of the norm. I know when I first saw it, I uh, Sapphire knows my backstory. I grew up in a Methodist church in the suburbs, mm -hmm. and I think I saw it late one night on like VH1. So it was it was cut down. And so I'm sure I was missing even a lot of the, the most controversial parts, but I still felt like so engaged by it. 
and yeah, just woken up by how uh, empowered each of the characters were on on whatever wavelength they were on. There's sort and, of a, an unpretentious message of just be yourself with that yeah. You know, and it, it's not done in like a serious condescending tone. It's done in a like, look, everyone can be free and be who they are and, and it's okay, you know? Um, of course, with a message at the end, that's like society will try to snatch that from you. <coughs> and kill um, you for it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's positivity there. <laughs> you know, it's freeing, right? And I think it, I think it forces people to look full frontally at like sexuality, which I think sexuality is kind of like probably one of the most powerful fear-invoking things in our Western culture because of programming from like the church and things like that. So yeah. when you see a guy going down on a girl and then going down on a guy and they're in yeah. underwear and they're in dresses and they're wearing tights and all these kind of things, people just want to go insane because yeah. you know that's what you do when you face sex right well, back then too you know even like i think for me being such a, a weird you know dark horror obsessed sort of kid that looked freaky and didn't fit in with anybody and being queer and kind of coming to terms with that when i was watching that movie was sort of free you know it, it was and i think it probably did that for a lot of people yeah do you um are there any other movies that come to mind that you felt a similar way about um, I think Working Girl felt uh, you, were, <laughs> you were really into that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. I, it's a totally stupid story, but I I, uh, I moved to New York. I kind of like you know I was like a bad kid. Like I was like trouble, whatever. You know, I wasn't bad. I just like you know was very antisocial and whatever. So I remember I was like, I'm going to college, I'm gonna get my shit together and I'm gonna go to New York and like, you know, be a big shot. And so that movie, like as stupid as it is, inspired me. I was like, yes. Could do it. You can go to New York and like be great, you know. <laughs> totally. And what is that theme? When you hear that theme, you like perk up <laughs> a little tear. Yeah, I rewatched that recently. That's it's very fresh in my mind. I just rewatched Working Girl. Oh, really? You know, yeah. the weird part is, is I re <laughs> this is horrible to say. I looked up the Sigourney Weaver's character. Yeah, Not that's because Jack's a sadistic bitch. <laughs> I was like, she is fierce. I was like, oh my God, I love her little short hair. Yeah. She's the boss and she's in charge. And even when she broke her leg, she was still fierce. So I was like, that's, that's too I looked. I mean, I don't like the plagiarizing part. That part was Of bad. course. But yeah. Of course. But yeah. <laughs> but everything but even, else, and she had the hot guy, like all the guys. Totally. Awesome. Yeah. And as a performer in that film, she's so in the pocket. She's just yeah. like, yeah, she's firing on all cylinders in that movie. Well, what do you think it, it, it is about certain performances or characterizations from films that uh, that then make their way into the drag community? You brought up Death Becomes Her. And um, I was at a, a show not a, just about a few years ago and uh, characters from Death Becomes Her were represented in the drag performance. And oh, I, I didn't know that that was, I don't know if commonplace is the word, but now I know that those characters are actually quite idolized. Um, and, I, and then I would see, I saw a show where, where um, the Ellen Green character from Little Shop of Horrors was, uh, was represented. What is it about those performances that, that make their way into the drag community? Well, I think, I think Broadway lives on its own and it has its own connection to the drag world. So any musical, it's like, hi, you're automatically in, you're like gay approved and like, you know, right. you become part of the lexicon of drag performances. <laughs> but some of the other stuff like, 
I think you have to look at the ever evolving and changing definition of drag. And I think to each artist that will be different. It's really like a hard thing. And I often feel put on the spot. It's like, what's your definition of drag? Cause I huh. think it's always changing. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's, it's intricately tied with the performance aspect of gender. And you can do, you can perform as the same gender, another gender, a gender, like, you know, it's it just, I think it's a conversation about gender and it's put into the performance context, not for everyone, but certainly for me. And when you look at the characters like um, the girls from Death Becomes Her, they're like hyper feminine. They're like uh -huh. Amazonian in their personality and in their psyche. And that really resonates with this exaggeration of like female power. And for us personally, I mean, they live forever. They're always support, you know, they love, hate, they support each other. They have like this eternal struggle for beauty and youth. And I feel like we resonate with them. So <laughs> at the core. Yeah, uh -huh. I think so. But and, and I think that they're, they're sort of like larger than life, uh, campy women. I mean, they're kind of like drag queens in themselves, you know, uh, those two characters, same with Little Shop of Horrors. I mean, I think a lot of the, the people you're talking about, those themes, it's like, you know, characters from, you know, uh, female characters that are campy from 80s sitcoms, like the Golden like Dynasty, the Golden Girls, all that yeah. sort of stuff. It, it's something about that sort of woman and femininity, the way that it's presented, that is appealing to uh, at least to male drag queens. Yeah. Uh -huh. I wanted to ask you both, uh, what are some of your favorite horror-themed looks? The, the Audrey 2 headpieces stand out to me as a huge Little Shop fan. I remember when I saw that like promotional image, I saved it to my desktop because it's just so striking. Um, yeah. That's one of my favorites of yours, but what are some of your favorite looks? I'm gonna say that is up there be because we acquired that headpiece kind of years ago and we, we still uh, have them. I take pristine care of all that stuff. Yeah. But I remember the first time we wore it, it was at a huge convention and people were just so attracted to that. Um, now you see a lot of headpieces and stuff, but it wasn't as common no, when we were wearing no. them. No, no, and no. the fact that it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's biological looking, it's plant life, but it's uh -huh. a direct reference for people who recognize it. Um, you know, it's a great one. Yeah, I think too, we, I mean, speaking of Rocky Horror, we did a few homages to Rocky Horror costumes in season two of the Blade Brothers Dragula. Um, we did at the finale of season two, we had the sort of uh, transsexual alien outfits that Magenta and Riff Raff wore before they returned to their planet. Uh, you know, the kind of gold ones with the big mm -hmm. black shoulder pads, we yeah. did that. Uh, and also right before that of the reunion episode, which was the episode before we did the an interpretation of Rocky's like um, Frankenfurters, Frankenfurters uh, teal colored outfit with the, the triangle on it. So, yeah, we've done Eva Lynn, which I love because we have Eva Lynn helmets and Eva Lynn is like kind of probably one of my favorite characters across the board from like any genre. Mm -hmm. um, and we also do, we toured with this show and oh, I love it so much. It, we actually put it as, as part of our digital performance because in 2020, when everyone was quarantining, the drag community really kind of diversified and started doing um, shows digitally. Um, so people could kind of sign on and watch people perform. And it really, you know, it was kind of difficult at first, but we took huh. the challenge and really used it to springboard and, and be creative as possible. I'm very proud of the shows we created, but we have this almost like post-apocalyptian um, Bride of Frankenstein outfit. We had like Ooh. these angle grinders and all these tubes. And it was like, 
it, it's just such a striking look. I encourage everyone to look at our Instagram, <laughs> Boulay yes. and check yes. out our Frankenstein looks. Well, unfortunately, I wiped most of it recently, but <laughs> it'll be bad. <laughs> and it's time for something new. It's, you know, it's a new year. Last year was so bizarre. I felt like 2021, we wanted a fresh start. So, mm. yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about what? 2020 was like for you as performers you were able right. to find ways to still get shows going because i know drag shows are so interactive and the audience yeah. is so engaged and a part of it uh, what were you able to do uh with this last year when it comes to your performing well think about how the year started well yeah i mean for us you know live performance is really not the main thing that we do, mm -hmm. you know, we produce our TV show and we write and work on uh, TV specials and things like that. So that's really what we spend most of our time doing. We do produce, we used to produce more nightlife events um, and we were touring with the cast from the Billy Brothers Dragula season three in Europe, right when the pandemic started to hit. Oh, wow. So we were in Mexico, then we were in Europe, and then we were in Australia. And while we were in Australia, it was starting to break out and things were starting to, it started to become very serious. Things started to lock down and we came back and that was, that was it. After that, there was, you know, no more live shows or anything off clubs and bars and everything shut down. So we were supposed to be shooting season four of our show right when the pandemic started and we had to put it on the back burner. But what we did do was we figured out a way to make some content so we didn't keep people waiting forever that featured performers from previous seasons of the show, which is the Belay Brothers Dragula Resurrection, which is on Shudder. Mm -hmm. So we took, uh, we took our time, we kind of were like, look, we could just sit here all year and wait, or we can try to be innovative and work on a project that we've been wanting to do. Because we wanted to do that project for a long time, but we never thought we'd have the time to do it it required us to kind of take our crew, get in a van and go personally across the United uh -huh. States and film this thing. So it took us months to do. And so that's what we ended up doing. Instead of just sort of sitting and waiting, we, we got busy and we, we made that and turned out fantastic. So we're very proud of it. And then once, um, once Halloween came and went, I was crying inner tears because <laughs> this would have been our 20th anniversary of the Los Angeles Halloween ball. Oh, wow. Oh. So it was the first time in 20 years where we didn't have a huge explosive, basically a haunted house inside a clubhouse with thousands of people. It's like our favorite yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and that came and went. The holidays were depressing. And then we decided like the new year is just going to be ours. So we're already like innovating and kind of transforming our Instagram and our house and getting ready to kind of really yeah. attack this year. Yeah. And we'll be able to, we will be able to move into production on, uh, on season four of the show and more actually. Uh, but, you know, I think within the next couple of months. So that's exciting. So what are some of your favorite looks from the performers who've taken part in Dragula? Well, I want to say I love, I love so much of everything. It would be really hard to pick a favorite because if, we, did, if we didn't, if we weren't fans of theirs, they wouldn't be on the show in the first place. So it's hard because they're also very different, right? So yeah. you have someone like Zastarina, who's like this trash queen and so much, I mean, I, that's someone that sticks out to me, actually the alien look she did from the yeah. science fiction episode. That's one of my favorites. Um, I think James Majesty uh, also had one of my favorites on the first episode of season two, which was like the Cinebite Hellraiser challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, I just because watched I that felt episode. like so good. <laughs> he brought this sexuality and sensuality and creativity to the whole thing. I really like that. Yeah. Um, and I also like Abora. I, I like a lot of what Abora does, although I don't think she necessarily shined on the show. I feel like I mm -hmm. we follow her and we know her work. 
And I feel like her makeup is so innovative. It's just really creative. And, and so it's you super know, transformative. It like, is. She kind of breaks the boundaries of what it, <laughs> what it means to have like physical structure in the face with like paper and weird prosthetics. And it's really crazy. Well, you mentioned earlier that, that drag is always evolving. Um, yeah. I, you know, my understanding of drag for a long time was admittedly a kind of binary one. If I can right. say that it was, it was men performing as women, but the, the, the landscape has shifted. Can you talk a little bit about how it has shifted to be more inclusive into all identities? And I want to, I want to say that that, that perception is not accurate that, yeah. you know, I, I think it's, it's drag. palatable, right? That's why yeah. that's why you're aware of it because right. men performing as women and maybe way less likely, well, way less palatable, way less known are women performing as men. These are things that like the general population at large can kind of get and accept. Yeah, there's a misogyny to that too, yeah. where it's like that that's acceptable, but you that's know- the mainstream way that, that, that I digested it, that, that it can be digested. Yeah, yeah. so drag, yeah. the history, drag you know it goes back very far and there's there's historical drag kings drag queens there's tons of trans people that do drag too um even back when you think in the 80s and 90s when drag was becoming more popular and more of a staple in queer spaces and bars you know there were tons of trans performers that did drag and it's just sort of like i think uh i think with the with the success of of rupaul's drag race honestly i think in the way that they had to sort of say how do we want to present drag we need to present it in a way that's palatable it's palatable for people to understand men doing drag as women is acceptable let's push that forward and so with the success of that i think it really started to establish in people's heads that that's what drag was but in fact it is not what drag is it's just what drag was for that one particular show hmm. and it's not knocking them because that's what they wanted to do and but they don't represent all of drag it's just that they had success right. so people know what it is but i think that's one of the, the things that motivates us with our show is to not let the edgier and real side of drag go away you know like Drag is also very punk, and you don't see a lot of that in that show. Drag either. is very punk. It's very like clash against the system. Like some of the performances, the first performances that I saw when I moved from a small town to New York City when I was like 19 years old and going to gay bars, these they were they were political commentary shows yeah. in a nightclub. So you'd be drinking a beer, and at the time there were so many things to be kind of afraid of. And this is like touching on the idea of horror and queerness and that shared DNA, but you know, politically it wasn't nearly as acceptable to be gay or, or anything other than straight. Like coming from my hometown, people would get their ass kicked daily. Just if they mm -hmm. showed like they were any kind of anything other than just a, a straight white dude, like that's yeah. just sort of what it was. Um, but when you went out in New York and you were in the, you were in the underground and in, in other major cities, you'd see things commenting on things like political unfairness or not being able to be married or the AIDS uh, pandemic and, and everything, you know, so. Um, that punk edge has been kind of like bred out of what people see because it's much cuter to just see a pretty girl like you know yeah. sexy and fun <laughs> and like and that's right. there and that's great but that's just not what we're representing at right all. and it's all not only political but it's very adult in nature I mean the you know drag as it was was mostly performed in queer spaces so you're it's adult people drinking doing drugs partying so you can imagine the kind of shows that you are seeing especially in in 
and certain segments of the country, you know, major cities like New York and LA, San Francisco, San Francisco, Berlin, like the kind of drag that you were seeing, it was offensive and wrong and raw and filled with, you know, things that actually touch queer people's real lives, not a whitewashed version of that, mm -hmm. you know? Do you think there's been other known uh, instances in mainstream where where perhaps the drag community has been misrepresented? I remember, you know, as a, as a teenager, when I watched to Wong Fu, I thought I'm, I'm so progressive for watching this film and, and understanding these characters. Um, but I also understand that if something reached the mainstream, then it was probably watered down to a degree. We, we do have to appreciate that though. Like, even if it's watered down, the fact that it's on a platform where a lot of people can see it, it starts right. to take away the impact of right. that being so strange. It starts to normalize it a little bit and it really does pave the way, like RuPaul's Drag Race really has paved the way for a lot of other queer, maybe more extreme artists to be seen. Like they yeah. got their foot and they kind of opened the door and now we're, a lot of people want to just kick it in. And things change over time, you know? I mean, you and you, you don't always have to do it that <clears> way, right? Because Rocky Horror certainly didn't take the safe route. I mean, it was, especially for the time it came out, Oh yeah, it was extreme. So I think maybe we're more aligned with that. We're more the type of people that's like, let's put it out there. <laughs> let's put what it is. Let's own how weird it is. If it's does great, fantastic. If it doesn't, whatever, we still feel like what we put out there is representational and correct. Like know? John Waters yeah. too. Yeah. Well, That's thank awesome. you. Yeah. yeah, thank you both. This has been a great conversation. We can't wait to see more, more from the Boulay brothers. Thank you so much for having us. Thank we're you. fans and we're excited to be here. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My friend Ashley is a self-professed Rocky Horror superfan, having grown up on the film after being introduced to it by a relative. We talked to Ashley about what it means to be a fan of Rocky Horror and why the fandom and live rituals surrounding the cult film have persisted for decades. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you here. I am timeless and happy to be here. Oh, what a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful definition of what you are. Um, so let's start with... It's the, a lie. <laughs> let's start with the very basics. Rocky Horror Picture Show. When did you first see it? And Ooh. were you immediately a big fan or did that fandom have to grow over time? <laughs> so um, here's some beautiful parenting. Um, I, I'm not a parent. <laughs> Let's, I'm gonna put that <laughs> yeah. out of there. I don't want anybody <laughs> to worry. Um, I was at my grandmother's house for Easter in third grade. <laughs> Which is how and, everybody gets introduced to Rocky Horror. I mean, I think that's the only setting where it works. Like you yeah. need to be like, what, nine years old. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'm, my cousins brought it. And uh, so <laughs> I'm pretty positive it was taped off of VH1, like one of their Halloween specials <laughs> where they cut out That's everything. how I first saw it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, VH1. It's, yeah, it's VH1 so sanitized. Edit. Yeah, it, it really is. But I remember watching it and just being entranced 
instantly. And then my parents tell me, yeah, we used to go to the show all the time. And I was like, oh my God, my parents are so cool. Oh, wow. Um, And my mom busts out like a jacket that she painted with the lips on it. I didn't realize your fandom was (gasps) multi-generational. That's so cool. She'll love this. Um, But yeah, no, I I watched it in third grade. My cousins, who by the way, were younger than me. (laughs) I mean, they still are, but like I'm in third grade and these kids are like, oh yeah, let's do the time warp. (laughs) So they taught me the time warp and I like may as well have just run home and taught it to all of my friends and then made us do it for a talent show. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. In third grade, third grade. And I was like, yeah. I don't know what sedated means. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently so like, I'm a golden girl, but yeah. Yeah. Um, well, when did you return to it and, uh, you know, and see it in full, not the VH1? Sure. sure. So I don't, I actually don't remember. I know that I bought the V, I had the VHS tape, like I owned the real one. And so I would watch it all the time. And my friend, I like introduced my friends to it who were older than me, like a year or two or whatever. And on my birthday, the night that I turned 17, my birthday is November 2nd. So that still has like all the Halloween stuff. Mm -hmm. So like on November 1st at midnight, they were showing it like near my town and my friends all took me. So I got to turn 17. And like the first thing I did was go see Rocky Horror in a theater for the first time ever. Um, It was so much fun. Did you do like all the stuff, like the throwing things and the shouting? I knew the basics. They did like their virgin ritual, which is like basically at every show I've ever gone to so yeah so there's a virgin ritual so anybody who hasn't seen the movie before they're a virgin and they Uh. usually if it's like a bigger cast they'll be like have you seen it have you seen it had you like standing Mm. out in line and they'll draw a big v and lipstick or something on your face (laughs) so you're the virgin Mm. it's not just you it's like anybody who anywhere yeah so And the whole point, like, they'll basically, they pull you up on stage at the beginning of the show, and there's some kind of, like, de-virginization to where, like, it's a big deal. Like, in the Rocky community, it's like, we've popped all your cherries. We've done all (laughs) these things. So mine was so lame. (laughs) First of all, it was, it was a shadow cast, but it was in, like, an actual theater, so they were taking it far too seriously. Um, but they they had us all blow up red balloons and then they walked past and popped them and that was it and i was like gotcha what's an example of a bigger virgin ceremony so um the (laughs) the one that i loved i think it was in atlanta and they pulled people up on stage and then they like pulled like picked people very specific people and they were like you two and i was like what are they gonna do i was so excited Mm -hmm. because it was like this like dude bro looking guy and then the other guy was a clearly like openly excitedly gay man it was very clear he was not hiding so they did this and they were like all right take this balloon and I was like what's gonna happen so they literally posed them in different positions sexual clothes on um and had them literally like hump the balloon between them oh my god without it popping they're like make it real but don't pop it all right now you go down and you stay you do downward facing dog and you do and then at the end they had to pop it and the dude bro guy was so into it he was having so much fun i was like this is what it's about the atlanta show was amazing it feels like such good stuff 
That's so I get nervous if I'm at a well, it would, no one's been to a stand up show in a year now. But when I would yeah. go to stand up shows, I'd always get so nervous that the stand up would be like, look at this guy. Who, who, who this is he? fucking guy. Yeah, this fucking guy. <laughs> and, but me. that's like the ultimate version that. of that. Really? Oh, my gosh. No. Getting brought but up I'm on stage. On. There is <laughs> nothing that somebody can bring up about me that I already don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am well, aware of those and like 400 other things roast me do it this is your job so forgive this dumb question but so people are performing the movie line for line mm -hmm. the shadow cast but then Correct. there are also new lines that the audience is providing i Correct. sound like somebody's grandfather but so it's <laughs> real oh, i have the same questions <laughs> no no so the, it's consecutively the cast... performed and then it's yes. like the then the is... meta layer is performed over top of that but the, yes. the movie is playing behind everyone. The movie everyone. is playing. <laughs> yeah. So, so then the people the are speaking over the movie? They're not the speaking. Actors? No, oh. no, the actors? No. So the, are actors, the actors are usually, because you can't hear them. They're not mic'd or anything. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what they're normally doing is just lip syncing to Got it. Got it. Sometimes okay. poorly. It's all part of the fun. Um. So yeah, so they're lip syncing over it and like doing all the actions and like, you know, acting whatever they need to out. And then there are, you know, the transies who like throw confetti. And then there are other people, you know, they have lighting directors, they have sound directors, they have props, like they have, it's like a full stage production. So those people are also part of the audience yelling out the call lines. Mm. So it's like a whole, it's a whole situation. So when did you start like traveling to go to these different performances because you've how many do you know how many times you've seen rocky horror in a theater with a shadow cast at this point so uh, how many different cities i i thought so i know how many cities so i i before i started traveling so i used to go i i lived in my small town which is like an hour and a half away from where they showed rocky horror in orlando mm -hmm. so my two friends and i i didn't have a driver's license my two friends would drive and we would go to midnight showings in orlando to see Rocky Horror when I was in high school. The, the cast still exists and it was the first show that I went to regularly to where I started learning the call lines and I started learning um, you know, the dances and the, the cues and things like that. Um, so I did that for several years. Well, what about cities? How many cities have you gone so to, to see? I have, so I started, uh, it's probably been three, three years, like 2017, I think was the first year I went, you know, it would have been great if I would have looked this up beforehand. Um, <laughs> but I have, I have been to 27 different states, 27 different casts. Uh, in one of the cities, we had to throw one ourselves because they changed the dates after I booked the flight. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, whoa, I'm getting on a plane. Um, so how do you do that? You just, I, how did you throw it yourself? Uh, it was in Austin, Texas. And I knew I was staying with a friend who I used to like, who used to work with my company. And I knew somebody that I did theater with in high school back in Florida. And he lives in Austin. And I was like, shit, dude, I don't know what we're supposed to, like, I ha I'm already coming. I'm pissed. I have a costume. And he was like, what if we just do it in my house? And I was like, oh my God, really? <laughs> so he just invited all of his friends and I invited oh, wow. the people I was staying with and I got to be like the MC and divergenize people and it was oh. just we trashed that living room there was just cars <laughs> and, so and toilet paper it was amazing well so what are some of the main traditions and then and how do how do those rules get established like did that how did that happen or did it happen yeah. organically or was so, someone like these are the rules yeah 
Um, Rocky Horror is really not, uh, in the very beginning, they will yell out specific rules, usually the MC will. Um, but in the 70s, like when this first started, like it did so poorly at the box office, they were like, just push it to a midnight movie, just get it out of here. But then like all of the people who did feel alienated, who did feel like kind of dregs of society or outsiders, they started going and then people just started yelling things back to the theater Mm. people will defend this movie as like a great piece of cinema (laughs) i'm not one of those people (laughs) i love it in the same way that i love hook in that it's part of my childhood and i love seeing you know all I, i just love it but rocky horror honestly is better as a play it's campier the timing is better people like play around with it more it breaks my heart that like the original stage play at the Roxy is gone forever because obviously it was the seventies. What were they going to do? But when it translated to the movie, there's just like these weird, awkward, like William Shatner pauses. Mm. So people just started reacting to the theater, to the the screen. And I was like, I, (laughs) when I, after I watched the movie, my dad like told me about all the things that people would like, not everything. He wasn't that horrible, um, but he'd be like, yeah, you yell out asshole. And I was like, can I yell out asshole? <laughs> um, he did let me sing, damn it, Janet. I was allowed to say, damn it. And I was like, yeah, I'm such a badass. Are there things that are called out in that uh, right after the wedding in the beginning, uh, Brad and Janet walking through the cemetery? There's so many awkward pauses, but I also oh. think it's because he's thinking and he's about to, you know, propose. But is there are there things yelled out during that walk? Because that stood out to me. as <laughs> Yes. So as they're walking, there's an older couple that walks in front and they go, I always cry at weddings. And it's like, do you, and do you laugh at funerals, you dumb bitch or something like that, (laughs) that ilk. Um, And then there's an angel that's like awkwardly posed. And it's that you scream, show me an angel masturbating. And you look and you're like, well, there it is. Look it up. (laughs) Legit looks like an angel masturbating. Oh my gosh. So then it, it, this it feels like this happened organically and then yes yeah I don't think anybody sets out to make a shitty movie in hopes that people will go to it and like it anyway and start yelling at no yes. it's <laughs> interactive because like I don't the only other movie I can think of that has something similar is The Room yeah. um, and The Room you, has it because of Rocky Horror yeah and so yeah. It, just the idea that people will go revisit a movie that they've seen in a theater and then like interact with it with other people like that's yeah. something very very unique to that it movie alone yeah. when i was younger i was like dad did people used to yell things at greece because i thought that this <laughs> yeah. was just like a thing a generational <laughs> thing and he was like no and i was like that wasn't a stupid question what do I know what you did in the 70s? Do either of you feel like the film is problematic by today's standards? As I was re-watching it, I was trying to kind of flag things that I was like, oh, wait, that's kind of not chill, right? Well, hey, wait, that's coercion. Oh, wait a minute. But it also gets to a point where every, I'm not saying these people aren't supposed to be real people, but they are also like symbolic representations of of mm-hmm. of, of types and of right. um, almost like... Uh, postures on sexuality and yes. so i i also found myself less offended because i didn't take it so literally it felt like ideals were being shifted around and rearranged mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily that these people were experiencing these things mm-hmm. how do you how did you both how do you both receive the film now is it 
are there any red flags for you? Right. Yeah. So a couple things that I was a little confused by was <laughs> just <how> a couple. He... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a few things. Um, I guess especially like the sweet transvestite song. Um, he calls it, first of all, transvestite, that's not really a term. That is it is huge. not a term anymore. It is absolutely anymore. offensive now. Correct. Right. Okay. And then um, he calls himself a transsexual, but I'm not sure that's actually what he was. So let me explain it to you, which <laughs> doesn't do. make it any easier. They are from <laughs> Transylvania, Transylvania and people from Transylvania are called, are called transsexuals. Oh, okay. So he doesn't mean like literal. No, no. He got oh, all right. He's saying he, I'm he, an incredibly sexual being from Transylvania. From trans. Oh, yes. okay. I'm a sweet trans. Yeah, those- transsexual, transsexual, comma, Transylvania, like Orlando, comma, Florida. Mm, um, got it, got it, got it. It's not explained, so I, I can't right. imagine why you didn't get it. Um, yeah, so a lot of the language is outdated. So yeah, that the wording obviously changes, but that's going right. to happen. Right, with like every you know, movie. You know, we've, there, there's just, I get it. And I, I, I do the same thing you do is like, I try to put myself in the position to watch a movie when it came out. Like, I saw Halloween for the first time three years ago. And I was like, Ashley, it's the 70s. Go. <laughs> but it didn't matter because it was brilliant. So anyway. Yeah. Um, yes, I think there are problematic aspects to it. If we wanted to broadcast it on a wide scale now mm-hmm. and just being like, look, it's perfect. Um, not. Um, you know, if we were to look at it, if I were to watch it today, I'd be like, so he's a pervert because he's a transsexual and because he is he an alien so people who m- men who dress in drag are alien like mm-hmm. there's so much what is it what is it saying with that right. character like, what is yeah. the commentary but o'brien wanted him to um wanted uh frank to be uh an an icon of like excess like mm-hmm. when you're this crazy somebody crazier will end you and I think he said, like, and they'll do it singing. Like, that was, like, mm. his big thing. Okay. Richard O'Brien, who is, has, like, come out as non-binary. Wait, question. Richard, so Richard O'Brien came out as non-binary? Richard O'Brien is non-binary. He's like, I'm 70% man, 30% woman. That's how he feels about, like, his own. He's okay. literally, I think he's pushing 80 at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is amazing. Like, you mm-hmm. wrote a movie that by all accounts has been uplifting to the people I have talked to who are trans or who are non-binary or, mm-hmm. you know, they feel that it is inclusive. It, the community around Rocky Horror, I think is what's the most important because they welcome everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're part of us. You can be fat, thin, black, white, anything in between. You can be gay, straight, trans, non-binary, asexual doesn't matter and like you can wear whatever you want and you can go by whatever pronouns you go by like when you create a world that way you've created a community mm-hmm. and the community is what's going to hold like i don't want to say yes it's problematic or no it's not because yeah. as a cis white woman i don't think that's my decision yeah if trans people are like this is fucking offensive we're done with it i'll be like beautiful i i i, I trust in what you say I believe you, and if you tell me it's wrong, I'm gonna I'm gonna uphold that. I think that 
you know, from what I've experienced, the shows that I've gone to, this is not a place that's going to draw in bigots. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, Mitch McConnell's not like, let's go check out RHPS this weekend. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> first of all, Kentucky doesn't have a show. So, okay. um, but, <laughs> well. like, it's not, it's not bringing in people who want to hate on the LGBTQIA plus right. community. It's, it's people who are already there, who already want to explore that and who mm-hmm. already like want to find a community of their own for the, you know, island of misfit toys. I know people who have, who are trans and who have like come out to me personally. And they've been like, can you take me to Rocky Horror so I can wear a dress? And I was like, fuck yes, I've got fishnets you can wear. Let's do this right now. (laughs) So they can experience that. Um, So it's a good question. It's a, it's a multifaceted one. I guess to wrap things up, and I know this is probably hard to, to put simply because it's different for everybody, but why has fandom around this film, especially in the environment of live performance and shadow cast performance, why has it persisted? What do you think it is in the genetic makeup of this property that continues to excite audiences? I think because it evolves. Um, you know, it it is an inclusive environment. It is a place where misfits can go and feel comfortable, but it evolves. And it's like, we're, we're learning new things. And mm-hmm. as a lot, like as culture changes, the call lines in the show change because there are times when you're like, Ooh, that's not cool to say anymore. Mm-hmm. Like people know where there are lines to draw. Yes. There are things that are meant to be body or meant to be um, taboo, but nothing should is going to be an attack on somebody in the audience. Even the virgin ritual, nobody's going to force anybody to do anything. It's such a community of just love and acceptance. And I think that's always going to resonate with people, whether you're from, you know, seeing it in 1976 or seeing it, you know, when the world reopens, like it's still going to be there as a place where you can feel accepted and just be free. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ashley. That was wonderful. And when the world reopens, hopefully... If we can go, if we Sorry. can go. I'm getting that vaccine. You we will, can, won't, won't stop me. We'll all get the vaccine just so we can go to a live Shadowcast performance Absolutely. of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Sounds great. I will I will take you all. I'll teach you all the things. I won't allow you to be embarrassed. Yeah. Not everybody loves that. <laughs> so. I'll let it go for that night. I'll let myself be embarrassed. Before we sign off, here's what's coming up on Alter this week. Peopling on January 2nd. When George accidentally births a doppelganger, he finds competition for his mother's affection. Then, Paranormal Solutions, Inc. on January 25th. Paranormal Solutions, Inc. is expanding. Armed with their new slogan, we believe in everything. Six hapless but passionate semi-successful ghost hunters attempt to grow their business and become real players in the supernatural game. And then, Alice Jacobs is dead on January 27th. A scientist races to find the cure to a horrific virus before it turns his wife into something monstrous. That's all for this week's episode of Alter Weekly. Until next time, stay altered. This week on Alter Society, we're going to watch You Should Have Left, starring Amanda Seyfried and Kevin Bacon. You can catch new episodes of Alter Weekly every Thursday. Get it wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe and download. Alter Weekly is produced by Andrew Bowser with theme music by Sapphire Sandalo. Alter Weekly is executive produced by Stephen Michael and Lauren Palmer at Gunpowder and Sky.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.